Still Rules Podcast. With me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Big Million. How do you do the dab? I'm trying... Oh, it's like that. Yeah, it's like that. You got to tuck your arm. You got to do it fast, though. I got a broken collarbone, dude. I can't do that shit. It's stupid. It's dumb like the fucking... uh, What do they call it? The floss? All that Fortnite shit, Or whatever this fucking... That's all from Fortnite. No, it's not. Well, I know the Fortnite one... Fortnite stole it from a bunch of places. Well, like, yeah, because... The Fort- backpack kid, the, like the floss shit, that came out like a couple of years before Fortnite. I guess some people that came up with these dances and shit that are popping up in Fortnite are tr- actually trying to sue... Yeah, the most famous Fort- uh, dance... Epic Games. The most famous dance that they jacked was from uh, Scrubs. From Turk from Scrubs. The one where he's all... Whatever the fuck. I can't dance for shit. But... Yeah, I guess... Uh, well, and I get... See, I hate the fucking floss dance because you go to any sporting event. I don't care what sport it is. It as soon as they do the dance cam or whatever, fucking every kid is doing the fucking stupid floss shit. Dude, Ted Danson did it on that show The Good Place a couple weeks he ago. He tried to. Well... It was actually kind of funny watching I, it. You know what? Since it's Ted Danson, it's kind of forgivable. I like Ted Danson's cool as fuck. That's a good show. So is Becker, dude. You remember the show he was on Becker, where he played a doctor who fucking hated everyone. I never saw that one. Oh, that was good shit, dude. I only caught it in reruns. Like I never knew it existed, but on like WGN, they'd play reruns all the time. Oh yeah, like fucking this show's sweet. So yeah, uh, sorry uh, that we didn't have a second show for you guys in January. That's uh, completely my fault. It doesn't help when you gotta. Well, now five-month-old baby who's teething and doesn't want to sleep through the night anymore. Well, and that's why I put it on the on the Facebook page, too. Life happens, man. Yeah. It, it happens. That's all. You got a brand-new baby. Fucking, it's the time of year people get sick. Yeah, and I'm it, still I'm still trying to get back, like, find my groove again after the long fucking, like, what was it, two-month, almost three-month break. How Jay got his groove back? Yeah. I'm going to have to start documenting that shit. I'm going to have to go to some sort of tropical island or something. You referencing the movie? Because I've never watched it. I guess. I've never seen it. (laughs) Are you watching chick flicks over there? I'm barely, like, I'm I'm referencing basically, like, the trailer, because that's about the majority of what I've seen from that movie. That's more than what I remember. Yeah. All I remember is the title. So, and that it was not my type of movie. But uh maybe we should do an episode on that movie. On what one? How Stella got a group back. Let's not. We'll fucking you No, know, you know what we'll do? We'll we'll record an episode while we're watching the movie and critique it. It'll be like Mystery Science Theater. Oh, do a riff tracks basically. Yeah. Why not? It could be fun. Could always watch Mac and Me. I did because it's on the. It's on, yeah, it's on. It's on Netflix yep. on Mr. Science. Theater. That's the first sh- time I've ever watched Mac and Me. Dude. I love that fucking. Mo- I love that movie when it's I was a so kid. Fucking stupid. It though, is. Dude. But when you're like fucking seven, eight years old, 
You got you got a feel for Mac, man. Oh, and it's it's fucking straight blatant with the fucking McDonald's. Oh yeah. Like at the end of the movie, Mac is wearing the fucking uh, Mick Kids. Yep. Fucking sweater and. <laughs> Ain't nothing wrong with a little product placement, sir. Yeah, but just excessive. I mean, we got our own product placement in the show under the guise of sponsors. But I mean, but like... It's not like I don't have gremlin juice in my vape and there's not hella hot hot sauce sitting on the fucking table right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we got a uh, a new shipment. A fucking huge shipment, a good, dude. Yeah, a good size shipment from uh, Mr. Kyle Colson of Hella Hot Hot Sauce. Thank you, thank you. And we even got a special little uh, surprise. I opened the box and I'm like going through, okay, giant ass bottle, two giant ass bottles of fucking garlic death grip. Sweet, that's Jake's. Yeah. Uh, another bottle of Freak Show Deluxe, which I gave, I even gave yours, uh, mine to you too, because like. Um, it was just kind of weird for it's you. It's weird mean, for me. Like I, I'm not. I I just couldn't wrap think, my head around it. I think I like it because it's weird and it's different. But then, like we got like I think like four bottles of jalapeno cucumber, which I like putting into like spreads and stuff for like sandwiches. Yeah. Or like mixing into tuna or whatever. Mayonnaise and shit. Yeah, with mayonnaise and stuff, it's pretty good. I mean. It's it not hot at all. Like I'm if you're, not, I'm not a cucumber fan. Yeah, so. and uh, I got two regular sized bottles of the garlic death grip, and then we got a bottle that didn't have a label on it, and it's like bright fucking red. Yeah, it's like red, kind of looks like gore a little bit, and so I was like thinking, oh, is this the uh, strawberry rhubarb? You know, at first oh, I got I kind of excited about, that, about it, and I'm like. No, so I took a picture of the bottle, because like I said, there's no label on it, so I don't know what is in it. Took a picture of the bottle, sent the picture to Kyle, and I asked him, what is this? And he goes, oh, that's the exhumed Forged in Fire. And it's, well, I hate to fucking use this term to describe it, but it's, it's, it's fire. I. It's got fucking habaneros and... <clears throat> Well, right now it has habaneros and uh, ghost peppers, but he's uh, gonna add when he actually releases it because this is like a pre-release thing because that's why this there's no prototype, label. Basically, because he said that there the uh, he said that there's the labels were printing up when I messaged him about it, and man, it's plenty hot already. But he's gonna add on top of the habanero and the ghost pepper. He's gonna add Carolina Reaper powder. Dude, I smelled it, and that was enough for me. <laughs> but, I, I mean, dig it's, hot shit, but I also don't want to die. It's pretty good. Yeah, I put it on fucking uh, some... I had Chipotle last night and spiced up the Chipotle a little bit more. You don't need much. Oh. Maybe like a half a teaspoon, if, if that. that. Yeah. I could tell by the smell. I mean, I've been a fucking... Oleo resin capsicum instructor for 10 years, man. So I know all about Scoville heat units and I know about fucking hot shit. And yeah, okay, I'm on my fucking soapbox. So what? I'm just saying I'm not an expert, but I know my shit. And just by smelling it, dude, I don't. I want to try it, but I don't want the aftermath that I'm going to feel this late. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's legit, dude. Like, if you. I mean, if you're into like the really hot sauces this is one for you and i mean 
I highly recommend it. So if you go see Exhumed Live, I guess it's going to be on tour with them. Sweet. Like they're going to be selling it at their merch booth. Um, you can. I'm sure you can get it on. Oh, you can get it on Exhumes Exhumes uh, merch website. And I'm I'm fairly positive you can also get it on uh, hellahotsauce.com. It'll be up there. If it's not now, it will be. Yeah. So and I've been I, dude, I've been digging the hell out of it. Just I'm just I guess I'm just a pansy ass on it right now because I don't want to sit here sweating through the entire show. It's you know? it's not too bad. It'll leave. It'll make if you eat it if you take you know a little bit straight. It'll it'll make your mouth burn for a little while, but maybe later. It's it's maybe a little bit hotter than brain jerk. See, and I'm like brain jerk's perfect for me. Yeah, it's like it's just perfect taste, perfect heat, perfect. It's good. Yeah, and like I said, when you mix it with garlic death grip, it's like best of both worlds. I left my brain jerk bottle at work and completely forgot about it. Oh shit! Well, like so, last week gone. No, luckily no. Uh, no one's touched it actually, and uh, uh, I want to say last week or the week before, I brought soup with me to work, just whatever for lunch, and so I'm like, you know, put a little bit brain jerk in there. Yeah, spice it up, yeah. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> or do the <laughs> Three Stooges, <laughs> where it's like <laughs> Moe's ba- uh, making a cake, right? And so you got to make the batter first. So he reads, dash of baking powder. Dash. And <laughs> just kind of flicks it, like a flick of the wrist kind of deal. It was pretty funny. Just um, making the fucking whatever yeah, just it says. dash. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, dude, I fucking love the Three Stooges. Like, I got the box set, like the complete collection of all the Three Stooges stuff that they released with uh, with Columbia. My old man but, used to watch that shit all the time, and even as a kid, I'm like, dude, I just I can't get into it. Yeah, it's it's. I get the appeal. It's a specific but, brand of humor. It's that slapstick, yeah. you know. And I'm a, I'm a fan of some slapstick. Mm-hmm. It's just. I think I was desensitized to the Stooges as a kid because of how much my old... Like, he would fucking piss his pants laughing, and I'd just be going, what's funny? I don't <laughs> I don't get it. But then he would put on, like, Sanford and Son, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is funny. Yeah. I don't know. So, I guess that's just me. You know, again, thanks to uh, Mr. Coulson yes. for the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Fucking A, dude. Kyle Colston and Hella Hot Hot Sauce are fucking yeah. Bow down. I yeah. I and, mean, oh, and and Brain Jerk just won. Uh, that just award. won like a best of. Yeah, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, yeah, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, it was some uh, competition. He won some chef deal, and so you know, kudos. Well, I would have if my Wi-Fi didn't just disconnect. I don't know. I I. I been having like I haven't really tried any other hot sauces. It and, was like, garlic nothing. death grip that that won. Oh, hot, I thought it was brain jerk. Hot sauce, fruit based, mild, medium, hella hot hot sauce, garlic death grip. Oh well, either way, it's deserving. Fuck yeah, it is. You know, because Kyle, dude, Kyle, I don't know how he does it, but I mean, the dude's got it fucking nailed. He's got it down, man. Yeah, like he does. 
because and you know what though since i since we've been you know we've had hella hot hot sauce as a or we've been promoting their product i don't necessarily want to say they're a sponsor they are they are and you know but uh since we've been promoting the product um i've actually my my palate has almost uh been turned up a little bit because we went to a place in uh a mexican place in hanford called uh figaro's heard of it i think there's one around here too and they have they had like no, three talking about all right three sauces <clears throat> two of them were real mild you know like your typical fucking cilantro heavy tomato based kind of sauces yeah the third was like this orange sauce and i was kind of like i wonder what this is try a little bit of it i'm like this shit's got habaneros in it just by tasting <laughs> it i knew it had habaneros in it and I don't know, dude, like it's, I'd go back to Figaro's just for that sauce because that sauce is fucking good. Really? I couldn't stop talking about it. You could even ask Sandra. I couldn't even stop talking about it. I was like, oh, fuck. I fucking love this sauce. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm not a big Mexican food guy. Yeah. Like I'm not like, I'm, I think we've talked about it before too. Like I'm happy with Taco Bell. Yeah. No, my old lady's like, oh, I want real Mexican food. I'm like, okay, you go there. I'll get Taco Bell. I'm a fucking chili cheese burrito, and I'm good to go. <laughs> Actually, sounds kind of good. Of course, I'm hungry, so. <laughs> well, and that's the I thing. Eaten yet. When I moved out here, I asked for one at Taco Bell. They're like, what's that? And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? They're like, yeah, oh. we don't have it. Do you have Taco John's in Ohio? No. Oh. And in fact, they just got Del Taco back there not too long ago. My oh, Del Taco like, is fucking great. Garbage. Fuck you. You you spelled great wrong. I Del spelled Taco great. Sucks. G R E A T. I spell it J E double F J A double R E double T. So since you brought that up, um, <laughs> what the hell? We'll do a little throwback to our wrestling podcast. Watch Royal Rumble. Quite boring, in fact. Of course, after not, let's see, fuck, man. I haven't watched wrestling since, I think, SummerSlam. It's about the same for me. I mean, we've talked about it, and I've caught parts of pay-per-views here and there. But Yeah, and, I, I, oh, man. Like, I fast-forward through most of it. Somehow, I figured out the timing for the, to where I'd, I'd end up right as the next entrant was coming out for the Women's Royal Rumble. Yeah. And I was like, don't know who that is, don't know who that is. Kind of just fast-forwarding, not so much because of the match itself. Like, when Alicia Fox came out and something about the hat, I was like, And that dumb dance. And then uh, the Men's Royal Rumble, the only surprise <clears throat> entrant. Number two. Really, it was number two, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. And in fact, I texted you about it that day, and I'm yeah. like, "Well, I guess he gets a pass on always." I fucking didn't realize him. he came out so early. I I didn't realize he came out with Elias. I about shit my pants when his music hit because I knew who it was. I recognized the music, and I'm like, Whoa. "I was actually really bummed out that they didn't play with my baby tonight." They kind of did on Raw the next night, and then did earlier this week where and it was like Elias <clears throat> versus Road Dog and Double I don't. J. I actually don't think they're technically allowed to play it. They did. Oh. Well, the only reason I said that is just because of the fact that, you know, it's a Jim, was a Jim Johnson uh, yeah, song. Yeah, but WWE owns it. Because I know they didn't, I thought they didn't part on the best terms, <clears throat> but. 
Yeah. Ultimately, though, I mean, it was okay. All right. Becky Lynch. That's all I got to say. Becky Lynch. And you know she... I'm glad she won the, the Women's Royal Rumble. Yep. And they're going to be main event in WrestleMania. I actually was kind of surprised, I guess happily surprised, that they put the title on Asuka. That was the last pay-per-view, the pay-per-view before that. Well, like I said, I haven't watched wrestling. Okay, I shouldn't say I haven't watched wrestling. I haven't watched current the current product since SummerSlam. Like, I've been watching, uh, I've been trying to watch from the start of the uh, Invasion angle, which is basically... The it starts with the simulcast, and then, I watched that live. And then I was watching. Oh man! And I texted you about this shit too. The fucking watching uh, WrestleMania. What was it? Seventeen. X seven. Yeah, when they did the gimmick battle royale. Oh yeah. Dude, I've never had that kind of reaction. Like I didn't even when I saw like the the Bobby Heenan, like Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund. When they're, um, oh, fucking what, bro? I, it was one of the, I think it was WrestleMania 20. When they're backstage and oh, they're they're kind of fooling around May with May and Moolah. Yeah. Like, I was a little bummed out there, but for some reason, like, I had to stop myself from fucking just straight ugly crying, dude. <laughs> because I'm like, fuck, man. God damn it. Fuck. <laughs> like, I get that some, way watching. I don't know why he fucking. Gene Okerlund's uh, passing affected me that much more. I like, don't know, man. Like, and it's so fucking weird. And I think it's just because of the fact that you're so used, like, as a wrestling fan, you get so used to hearing that voice, right? That that voice is fucking iconic with wrestling. And you know like what? for some people, it's Gordon Soley, or it's you know, it's Gorilla Monsoon, or or you know, whoever. But, you know, or for the younger generation, it's Michael Cole. But honestly, none of those guys can hold a candle to Mean Gene. You know, and uh, yeah, I, I, man, I like that was rough. <laughs> like, I'm saying, fuck, man. Fucking goddamn it. <laughs> like, I had to walk away from it for a minute. And, but, uh, yeah, so that sucked. <laughs> it's it's hard like so but uh yeah it's so fucking weird though because it's like you didn't know the person you don't know them personally but you know them that's yeah. just like i mean some, some like i almost le- i almost watched legends house i'm like nope i don't feel like fucking crying today because not only is me and gene in it but so is fucking roddy piper and i'm like yeah. nope that's nope i'm not doing it I almost did. Dude, I was fucking close. Like, I clicked on Legend's House, and I was just about to go to the first episode. I'm like, nope, I'm not fucking doing it. It's worth not it. doing it. It's worth it. Yeah. However, so let's go ahead and break from that and plug the sponsors, and then we'll be back with our guest for this week. Hi, this is Jay from Stuff So Rules Podcast. You know, there's a lot of hot sauces out there, but if you're tired of going to the store and being forced to choose from the same old boring selection, try Hella Hot Hot Sauce. Owner and creator Kyle Colson and his wife came up with their wonderful fruit-based sauces in their own kitchen in the Bay Area of California. With flavors like jalapeno cucumber, carrot apple, ghoul's brain jerk, techno destructo's garlic death grip, and many other regular and seasonal flavors, there's sure to be something for everyone. 
Also, they've just added probably their most ambitious and adventurous flavor to date. Nor Caliente. That's right. It's the world's first edible ant hot sauce. We here at Stuff Still Rules Podcast love all the sauces that Kyle sends us, and we think you will too. So go check out hellahothotsauce.com, and while you're there, visit some of the links to their partners. Be sure to like Hella Hot Hot Sauce on Facebook and follow them on Twitter as well to keep up to date on new flavors and upcoming events. HellahothotSauce.com. So good, you'll want one of each. What's up, guys? This is Big Million from Stuff Still Rules Podcast. And if you vape or you're thinking about getting into vaping, check out GremlinJuice.com. Based in Olympia, Washington, Gremlin Juice offers some of the most unique, affordable, and flavorful e-liquids on the market, including their world-famous, often imitated, but never duplicated vanilla custard. It doesn't matter if you're new to the vaping world or you're an old hat to it. Gremlin Juice has something for you. I've been a customer since 2013, and I can only say positive things about Gremlin Juice. Rich, the owner of Gremlin Juice, created a promo code just for you, the Stuff Still Rules listener. Use the promo code SSR to save on your Gremlin Juice purchase. You can also use that promo code at gremlindiy.com to save on your purchase there as well. Remember, that's gremlinjuice.com and gremlindiy.com. Use the promo code SSR. Gremlin Juice. If it tastes good, vape it. Our guest this week is a legendary heavy metal bassist. He's a founding member of Thrash Pioneers, Rigor Mortis. Spent many years in Guar as Beefcake the Mighty, sang lead vocals for X-Cops, known for his time in Ministry, War Beast, Wizards of Gore, The Hellions, Blowhole, Burden Brothers, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I've missed some. Uh, he's also a hell of an artist. You can check out his work at The Art of Ore. That's two R's. Dot com. Ladies and gentlemen, he hates love songs. Please welcome Mr. Casey Orr. Casey, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Hey, man, no problem. How's everything going in uh, Texas this time of year? Uh, you know, it's winter, so it's like 78 degrees. <laughs> Shit, that's like winter's in California right so, now. Actually, it, looks, it looks like it's 30 degrees, and you walk outside, and it's just muggy and gross. Yeah. Yeah. So right off the bat, we want to extend our condolences to you and the extended Rigor Mortis and Warbeast family on losing Bruce Corbett a few weeks ago after his battle with cancer. Uh, You got to believe that Bruce and Mike Scotch are jamming together again. I know there's something, man. They're they're up to something, man. Hell yeah. I know there's some benefit shows coming up as well as some uh, memorial t-shirt pre-sales you had got going. Can you let every know, everyone know how they can donate and help with uh, Bruce's family? Uh, yeah, there's, um, there was some confusion uh, right after Bruce passed away uh, with, with you know who was doing what and who was in charge of what. And everybody was, was emotional and panicking. And uh, there had been a, a benefit in the works uh prior to him passing away and so that kind of got solidified you know when he when he died and people thought that was somebody was jumping to the to do that show instead of the memorial that bruce wanted and this and the other thing but it wasn't it was a separate thing we got it all straightened out so there's there's a benefit show on the 16th uh february 16th that trees in Dallas and deep Allen in Dallas and uh, my band the Hellions is playing uh, Harden's band speed dealers playing Mike Taylor has been playing guitar for Wizards of Gore 
uh, his band Rabbit Flesh Eaters playing, and uh, Kevin Cost and Creeper are also playing. And it's all just to raise money. Uh, you know, Bruce's medical bills were, you know, as you can imagine, you know, the medical situation in, in America right now is just retarded. And uh, his bills are well over a million dollars. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, I, I, just the bills from last year. I, I saw the whole just a stack, like a foot and a half deep, and, and it was over a million dollars just for last year. That's it's, fucking it's, insane. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's insanity. It's complete insanity. But, uh, you know, just to help his, his family out and, you know, just, uh, that kind of thing. So we're doing what we can. And there's that benefit. And then on the uh, March the 9th, uh, we're going to have the big um, memorial Bruce Corbett celebration of life uh, show that he wanted. Um, so we've got those two big events going on. And, uh, you know, we're just going to send our brother off, you know, wherever Mike's at. They're, they're raising their glasses, you know, so. We just want to do Bruce proud and, and have a big send off. He he's done so much for uh, the metal community in DFW. You know, you know, helping other people out when they needed fundraising or you know benefits shows stuff like that. Bruce was always there leading the charge and uh, you know setting up you know big events for people's birthdays and whatever. You know, he was he was that kind of dude. He liked to promote and uh, he did a lot for other people that way. So we want to make sure we do him proud. Hell yeah. So, uh, what are some of your favorite uh, memories or stories uh, with Bruce? Oh, man, there's so many. I mean, we, you know, we were like kids on the loose when we when we all hooked up. You know, I mean, everybody were you know half high school dropouts, and you know, people selling weed to pay the rent in some you know shitty apartment that twenty kids stayed in, and you know, this kind of thing. And and I mean, we were just wild in the streets. In the early rigor mortis days, you know, so, I mean, in a way, we all, you know, we were in our 20s, but, you know, in this this kind of line of work, you're, you're pretty much in a state of arrested development, so, you know, <laughs> we kind of grew up together, uh, if you want to call it growing up, <laughs> but I don't know, I mean, God, just to think of one thing, I don't know, I mean, there was just so many, so many good times, you know, and bad times, and then good times again. Yeah. I actually yeah. watched uh it's on Amazon Prime. I watched Welcome to Your Funeral earlier today. <clears throat> and some of that shit is just crazy like all the all the all the connections I guess that they had in that Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah, it was a it was a unique uh, it was a unique experience around here, you know. I mean, I, I you know, we didn't think of it at the time that we were like, you know, some unique thing, but you know, as time went on, find out that people all over the world know about this you know 80s dfw metal scene uh and uh you know it really was unique there was a lot of really really good bands uh at the time when there weren't that many you know and and the, the ones that, that were around in the states yeah i mean there was metallica and slayer and exodus and you know and then everybody else was starting out you know um and, and we we were part of that sort of you know second ripple uh, of the wave and uh and in dfw there was just one band after another as soon as things started you know it was you know pantera and rigor mortis and then you know a million other bands popped up and uh and we had we had a unique scene and there was a lot of people involved in the scene and it was a whole 
a whole little microcosm and it still is you know i mean dealing with you know Bruce's passing you see these same people you know for the past you know 40 years or so are still here and they're still we're still friends and we're still we're talking about you know how to honor bruce and and all this and you know most people don't have that kind of extended family you know that that's just you know whether you see each other for years or not you know when when something happens in the scene they're they're there and they know hear about it you know and they know about it and their concerns and and things like that so it's you know it's pretty it's pretty special i think you know well yeah and one of the things that i hadn't known before that is that rigor mortis and pantera kind of had a rivalry going on well i mean you know it in a way it was really more our fans you know we would talk shit about them because they you know were doing so much better than us and you know we would talk about all the breaks they had you know but we wouldn't really point out the fact that well they they also play seven days a week and you know (laughs) i mean they they worked hard for what they had and you know here we came along and we're like well we're not playing cover songs we're not not dressing like that we're not wearing spandex you know, so you know, it was more of a of a fake rivalry between the two bands, but our fans kind of picked. You know how how fans are anyway. You oh know, yeah, they like this yeah. band or that band, and they stand up and tell you so. I can't say I'm not guilty of that at all, and that's total sarcasm. Oh yeah, like we go. <laughs> Uh, we go back and forth over, uh, like, I'm a big fan of... Anthrax? The, uh, yeah, the Joey Belladonna oh. era of Anthrax, and he's a big... Um, John Bush era. John Bush era <laughs> Anthrax right, guy. Yeah. All right, yeah. so Casey, yeah, which do you, you know, prefer? I mean, you know, you got to look at it. I mean, we're, we're, we're all into this heavy metal thing, you know, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of childish fantasy, you know, and it's awesome. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah. You know, we look at things in a different way than, than, you know, normal people do. And it's great. You know, we're, we're silly and stupid and, and we do goofball shit, you know, when we have wives and girlfriends that roll their eyes like, oh, my God, these guys, <laughs> you know. And, but we get away with it, you yeah, know, and we familiar. love it. It's like, you know, it's like the guy that collects Legos, you know. It's like, that's so childish. But, he loves it. He cares what anybody thinks, you know. Yeah, and Jay and I have been in two different bands together, and yeah, we've we've been through the whole hate you, fucking want to kick your ass shit, but yeah. then the next day be like, hey man, you want to go get a bite to eat? Yeah. But uh, I also read that you guys got into a fight with Megadeth after a show together. Well, my, my memory is a little cloudy. I, there was there was a altercation and i think some of our really close friends that were our fans that night got in some shit with some of their personnel there was never a fight between our band members and their band members there was probably some yelling from some of our fans that felt that they were kind of they were kind of they kind of slided us a little bit we were the opening you know direct opening band for them and they just like barely would even acknowledge that we were in the room you know so somebody was like fuck you guys man bullshit he's got you know we're the hometown heroes or whatever they basically uh, some people just started yelling a bunch of shit i'm sure we were mouthing off as well but the thing about rigor mortis is is (laughs) the stories are always well not always but they they usually are a little bit bigger than they really were 
Although, as I say that, I'm starting to think about things that happened. I don't know. They're pretty spot on. Some of them were even tamed down a little bit in the, in the telling. But <laughs> it was crazy. There was always there was always violence around us, whether it was us to each other or our fans to other fans or skinheads versus our fans or oh, whatever man. it was. It was it was never a dull moment, man. There were some surprised pretty, we survived. Some pretty crazy stories in that <clears throat> documentary between the band and fighting to where one of them was Mike Scotcha had a broom and was hitting everybody with the broomstick while holding no, the No, that's not true. He was hitting me. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was tussling around on the floor trying to punch Harden's face in, and Mike's behind me holding the bristles of the broom and just whipping me with it on the back. I get up, and I'm like, look at him, and he's just laughing, drunk, and I'm like, you know, you got to protect the quarterback. I can't beat Mike up, <laughs> you know. Harden's just... I'm just a bass player. Harden's just the drummer. Bruce is just a singer. But fucking Mike's the goddamn quarterback, you know? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend anything. He got, he, got away, he got away with a little extra. <laughs> that's a damn good watch if you get the chance to, everybody out there. that's it's. I don't know if you have Amazon Prime enough, but it's worth it. And, you know, uh, you got to hand it to Bruce. Bruce put that whole thing together uh, and uh, – I mean, he didn't film it all, of course, you know, or edit it, but he directed it, and, and he spearheaded the whole thing. And, uh, when he, you know, when he came to us and said he was going to do it, you know, we were like, oh, whatever, I'm not doing it. You know, go ahead, knock yourself out. I really didn't think he was going to do it. And uh, and he did, and he really he did a really good job. And I remember when I, when I saw it the first time, I was really proud of him. You know, that's something, I mean, I've never done anything like that, you know, directed a, a you know, but dvd and uh yeah i got a hand it to him did a really good job yeah, I'm, I'm gonna definitely have to check that out myself well the only like well because i love watching those documentaries like the uh uh what the hell is it the get thrashed that i think i think rat skates from uh fucking overkill was it, oh yeah was in charge of that and I haven't seen that. That movie, you know what's funny? That documentary actually bummed me out while I was watching it. So I'm like, fuck, man, why can't the Fresno scene be like that? Because there's the scene here is is oh, every garbage. man for himself. Yeah. You know, there's no unity, and that just that pissed me off more than anything else. I'm like, dude, why are you trying to, like, because bands will go behind other bands' back and say, don't book this guy. These yep. guys are fucking assholes. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's that kind of shit. It's bullshit. You know I mean? There's there's been stuff like that, you know. And I mean, it's a big area, Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, Denton. There's a whole big North Texas uh, spread out metroplex, you know, cities and stuff. So there was tons of people, tons of places to play. Slowly but surely, but there became tons of places to play. And uh, you know, every now and then you got a, a shady promoter or, or a, a you know a band that's full of themselves that try to pull shit like that. And I, you know, I, I stay out of that shit. I, I kind of stay out of the scene just because of things like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's it doesn't seem like it's that that much of it that goes on around here. I mean, it's pretty pretty much the scene polices itself. You know, you're not going to get good bands. You know. Um, it seems to police itself in that in that manner to some respect. Yeah, I kind of I wish we had that kind of mentality 
in the Fresno scene around here because it was just yeah. it was fighting a losing battle and even with us like we were doing more I don't know like straightforward heavy metal we had elements of thrash we had elements you know it was well, it was a heavily heavily influenced by Metallica and Pantera I mean, right well and then yeah as it, as things got later like then we started working in other elements like cuz I was really big into the band uh well, I still am into the band Death and uh, fucking Slayer. Like, probably one of the last songs we wrote, or that I wrote for the band, was uh, really have Like, I wrote it around the time of Jeff Hanneman's passing. That, right. You know, so it's got a lot of, you know, Slayer influence to it. The vibe is there. The vibe is there. But it's like everybody right, yeah. in this area just wants to play the same Cookie Monster death metal type yeah. stuff. Well, let them, you know, let them yeah, it's, be I mean, absorbed it's, into the, you know, you know different like strokes for different folks. Like kind of right. It, it's just a losing battle. Is all yeah. Is. Right. <clears throat> Come together. That was, that was one of the good things about, about North Texas was it was the influences were like a little bit of everything. So... You know, all the, all the bands that came out sounded totally different. You know, we sound nothing like Pantera. And, you know, Morbid Scream doesn't sound like us. And Rotting Corpse doesn't sound like us. And, you know, on and on and on. I mean, there's, you know, there's that speed and there's that metal thing. But, you know, the influences of, you know, hard rock and later punk and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know, all, all thrown in the mix. Makes all interesting bands. And, and you can get away with, there's always been sort of a an acceptance of uh, different kinds of, of music around here. Just sort of you're sort of forced into it. Like when uh, <clears throat> we started playing in Dallas, uh, you know, we we would be like the only long-haired, fast metal bl- band playing in Deep Ellum. And the same night, you'd have like uh, Reverend Horton Heat would be playing down the street, and uh, the New Bohemians would be playing down the street, and or the Butthole Surfers. And, uh, a DRI or you know, a, you know whoever and, and everybody hang out after their set they go see whoever else and so it wasn't like you know and it was just this huge metal scene it was just a big music scene and it, the, the lines weren't really cut you know in the sand or you know you got to be this or that you just kind of all hung out and you started getting you know more and more bands that were similar to other bands and just more and more bands in general so it's sort of changing that dynamic but in the early days it was just really cool because every band that came out was was new and different and you know even the metal bands were all you know different from each other and and, and you tried to be different you didn't want to be just like anybody yeah. else right and uh it just made for a really fertile ground for for music in general but metal especially yeah, and like right now, the big thing seems to be uh, the while well, the only bands that are really actually, you know, successful, you know, quote unquote, are like the cover bands. Oh like, my example. God, man! It, it <laughs> I almost just... went. I almost said, you know what? I'm going to join a cover band, but I hate learning other people's songs. <laughs> so. You know, I was I was actually asked if I wanted to join a cover band that's you know doing pretty well, and I'd be making more money than I'm making my day job. Mm-hmm. But so I, this is I can't recent. Do it, man. Just can't do it. I, I, it's just there's something about you know. I mean, even if it was like, it would have to be. You know, like Motorhead or something, but that's not, you know, I, I'm not going to make a good Lenny. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I just, 
you know, I, I just even if it was really something I really liked, there's just something about it. I, I I would love to play those songs, you know. I would love to be in a cover band for a minute, but I just can't do it. It's just something about, you know, and I don't really, you know, as as much as I roll my eyes at the fact that just about everything's a you know as a tribute band. Now there are so there's a tribute band virtually every band that ever existed uh, in Dallas. I guess above everything. all. <laughs> the Tom Petty, The Cure, and, yeah. you know, on and on and on and on and on. And, you know, there's really nothing wrong with that. People want to hear things that are familiar. And, you know, I've, I've run across these bands, and it's a good time, and they're good. But it's just that's all anybody's interested in right now, you know? Yeah. They want to go yeah. out to the bar and hear the songs that are all the top 40 or used to be the top 40 back in the, the 80s and early 90s and shit like that. And all those cover bands look the same, dude. It's it's always like the fucking older guy that's got like his sunglasses on and he's got that poofy fucking Seinfeld oh, yeah, shirt yeah. on. <laughs> but but they pack but they pack the house yeah. and they get, they get hired everywhere. And they get paid and, like 700 you know, bucks a gig. Yeah. So I work for a, I work for a oh man I mean some of the ones around here are making like three grand a night and play seven shit. nights a week oh yeah wow. I mean, these bands are like party bands there's you know there's lots of money around here so there's like corporate you know gigs I work for a sound company sort of a, a boutique kind of smaller sound company and we do a lot of corporate things and this and that and, you know the, the, you know these big like disco cover band party bands they make a lot more than that. And they play, you know, to a bunch of drunken secretaries, you know, after a reception thing, you know, and when the shoes come off and they start dancing, man, look out. <laughs> I think I need a to join the cover band. Middle-aged, single women, you know, it's, it's drunk. It's insane. White people cannot dance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mostly drive the truck, so by the time I show up, gig it's it's at that moment when they're you know the last <laughs> when they, like, when they got a, just just enough uh, aiming fluid in them to uh and you know, we just kind of sit back and watch and we watch these like lecherous old bastards trying to hit on them and <laughs> the most awkward whitest thing you've ever seen in your lives it's, it's insane <laughs> oh, but these bands make shitloads of money and you know yeah whatever easy to resent them <laughs> like that yeah so after Rigor Mortis, Mike Scotch joined Ministry, and then you joined Guar, where, by my count, you have the most total years playing Beefcake than anyone else. Yeah, I think so. I think I was Beefcake for 13 years total, but I was I was in and out of the band four times, so I'm actually Beefcake number two, four, six, and eight. <laughs> <laughs> How did you initially end up in Guar? Well, it was weird. Uh, Mike he had been kind of working with, with Ministry and Revolting Cox while still in Rigor Mortis. And then, uh, you know, after, you know, we, things with Rigor Mortis weren't really going anywhere at a certain point. And, you know, Mike you know, took the offer to, to be full-time. And, you know, at that, at that time, I, I said, go for it, man. I mean, we're doing nothing, and you have an opportunity to do what we all want to do, so go do it. And then... Uh, just by this weird kind of circle of coincidence and, and whatever, uh, Al had had remixed a couple of songs for Guar, and then Guar, when Dewey Rowell had left, they were looking to replace Flattis, and they remembered that, that Al 
knew this killer guitar player. So they contacted Al to see if he knew anybody. Uh, Al handed him over to Mike. Mike laughed and said, fuck no, I'm not wearing a goddamn loincloth. Bull <laughs> fucking out of my face with that bullshit. And he said, but I know a guy. And so he contacted uh, Peter Lee, who was playing in a band here called Sedition, and uh, formerly Talon. And uh, uh, Pete jumped at the gig. And so he was Flatus Maximus for several years. And then at some point, um, I'd, gotten, <laughs> I'd gotten a call from Fildo from the Skatenicks that uh, leaving, was, leaving was putting Fear back together. And this was... 93 i guess something like that and uh he was looking for a bass player and a drummer so me and mike dunn who was had played drums for sedition later ended up being the drummer for x cops uh we went down to outside of austin where lee ving was living at the time and he had this killer house out in the in the country and a bunch of animals everywhere it wasn't what you would have thought leaving from fear you know where he would where he would have been living but uh, we, we stayed the whole weekend at his place and jammed, and, and I thought I was going to be, you know, get this fear gig. And uh, so, you know, we leave Austin. Lee's talking about, you know, making this happen. And uh, a week or two later, I get a call from uh, Tommy Prong, Tom, Tom from uh, Prong, and uh, he's looking for a bass player. I guess he got my number from Mike. Well, I told him I thought I had this fear gig, and so I kind of, I didn't blow him off, but I just, I, you know, I said, I think I got this gig. You know, there was no cell phone, so I didn't have his phone number. So I got off the phone with him. A couple days later, I get a call from Lee. He met some guys in L.A. when he was out there talking to the label. They did some demo stuff, bada boom, bada bang. He loved the guys. They're the band. So I'm like, well, there went fear, and there went prong. And then I get a call from Pete Lee. And he says, Mike Bishop has left Gwar, and they need, they need a bass player, and I'm the guy. And I said, of course I'm the guy. And uh, and then it came down to I was going to have to pay for my own flight to Richmond to audition. <laughs> and I broke as a joke, so I'm like, well, I, don't, I can't. So I get off the phone with him, and I'm just sitting there going, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> you know, pretty much three cool gigs, and, and I just blew, blew them all. And... Uh, like the next day, Pete called me. He said he talked him into it, and uh, so they paid for my flight. So I flew up there, and uh, I guess they were a little rusty. They hadn't really been playing for a while, so I flew up there and owned like forty of their songs, and you know they remembered like three. So I sort of <laughs> so it helped them, you know, remember some of their stuff, and we jammed, and and it just really it just clicked right away. So you played on Ragnarok, Carnival, Chaos, Violence Has Arrived, Lust in Space, and Bloody Pit of Horror. Did you prefer the more uh, serious metal albums or the more campy, like kind of, for lack of a um, better term, comedy albums? Well, I definitely preferred the heavier ones. I, I really wanted to be, you know, Scumdogs, America Must Be Destroyed, and This Toilet Earth. <laughs> but we, the band got silly when I joined, not because of me, it's just naturally got silly and and uh you know for a long time I just you know there was a point you know years after those records came out that i just was like oh they're so it's so stupid it's so silly <laughs> you know and and then over time of course you know i i can go back now and go well yeah of course it is but there's some really cool stuff now it's like the coolest thing about being in guar is if you just you put all the guar albums on and and just hit random it's such a weird, wide variety of stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, especially, you know, say before uh, violence has arrived. 
there's just so much variety to it. We crazy, silly stuff, and some deep lyrics, and some you know poo poo pee pee lyrics, and <laughs> uh, you know, and, and musically, of course, you don't you don't write the music thinking of the show. You just write music, and then you you know figure it out later as far as what it's about and what the lyrics are going to be and this and that. So a lot of the music is just written from the point of view is hey, let's write some cool music, and and not having any real boundaries as far as what war can do i mean there's country chicken picking there's you know torch song that slyminster's saying you know there's punk there's metal there's jazz i mean it's all over the place no other band can get away with that oh no you know so so i look back at that and i'm like that's just so cool to have been a part of that you know yeah so while all that crazy guar shit's going on. You guys actually formed X Cops too. How did how did X Cops <laughs> come about, man? Well, you know, it's funny. I when I when I first went up there and first started rehearsing, I think the first, the first or second day we rehearsed. Uh, you know, we rehearsed for a while and, and went through all the songs, and then they said, "Well, hey, man, just chill. We're gonna you know we have this other thing that, that we're starting to work on, and we're gonna play around on those songs for a while." So. You know, just I'm still in the in the room, and they start playing these other songs. And after about three songs, I notice well, no one's singing. So, I ask, well, what is this for, and what, who's singing? And they explained to me, well, they were filming uh, some stuff for uh, whatever the Skullhead face, I guess it was. And there's a scene, uh, the the scene of lawn jockey. All right. And and uh, uh, Dave Rocky and Pete Lee were in police uniforms that whole day to film you know this little scene of them as cops so of course that goes to your head and you start thinking of all the possibilities of being a cop and so i believe pete came up man dude what about a band of like, cops and then that developed into ex-cops so they explained to me that's what they're doing and i said well who's singing and they said we don't have a singer and i said fuck you don't I said, dude, i'm the texas sheriff the fat bastard <laughs> violent texas sheriff and they were, and I just laid out that the name. I had the name and everything. Uh, a friend of mine, I just remember, you know, off the top of my head, a friend of mine had sent me a package, very eccentric, uh, you know, guy that worked in the film business, and he would always like address it to somebody weird. And and I remember he had addressed it to Tub Tucker one time, and uh, like recently. And so I, was, you know, I had the name, I had the look, and, and they were just like, okay, yeah, cool. And by the time they were through practicing, you know, the rest of the songs, I had like a whole list of titles and uh, written lyrics, and you know. So by the time they were done in that like hour and a half <laughs> time span, I was already all over it. You know, I had the whole thing what I was going to do, what I was going to look like, you know, song titles and lyrics and all this shit. It was a lot of fun, and I don't know how the hell we pulled it off. I can't imagine playing in, in two bands night after night when one of them's Guar. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so speaking of that, how much of a pain in the ass was it uh, on the Gore Tour where X Cops opened? You know, I mean, I, looking back on it, it, it seems like it really wasn't a pain in the ass at all. But I can't imagine how we did it, and I certainly can't imagine doing it again because it, 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 it just, I don't know, I guess we were just so, you know, everything was so, you know, just joined the band, and, and, you know, we were, we were, you know, they were, you know, gassing it up and firing the, all the engines again and and uh we were just so excited and it was it was fun you didn't think about how exhausting and and shit it was and i mean dude those years we were partying our asses off and you know i mean 
it was it was crazy and i don't know how we did it was but it, it was funny because nobody knew that we were doing it and people would come out and you know see us on stage just be spitting at us and flipping us off and <laughs> and then the same guy would be in the same spot just worshiping you when you came back out as guar that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. was it at least a double paycheck was that i said was it at least a double paycheck uh, oh hell no! <laughs> it was it was barely it was barely a single paycheck. Oh shit! <laughs> I remember. Now, you know you got you got to remember Guar is completely do it yourself. Oh yeah, Guar's they've never had any financial support behind them really. You know, no major label uh, support, and, and you know, I mean, you know, occasionally I uh, say you know with Metal Blade in the old days they would they would give us you know some budget money and you know, some video budget money that basically was like here's a bunch of money to just go do whatever stupid thing you guys want to do with that that no one's really ever going to see because <laughs> we would just they'd give us money and we would just go film the most self-indulgent bullshit you know and, and you know severely severely limiting our audience yeah but, I, uh, I remember but I it was, was great I was talking to Todd Evans around the time that Beyond Hell was coming out, and he said mm-hmm. that the band had spent $15,000 just on the new costumes and shit. And I was holy shit. Yeah. Don't you guys make it yourself? Yeah, it still yeah. costs money, well, man. I mean, it, it takes a long time. I mean, it's, it, you got to build all that stuff for molds. You slush and molds with latex until the skin's thick, and then you're, you have to put the foam in, and you got to, you know, heat them and mold them and, you know, pull them out. And, you know, trim everything and paint everything and then put everything together. It takes a lot of man hours, you know. Right. Nobody's, you know, I mean, in the old days, everybody just did whatever needed to be done. And, and you know, so, you know, the old, old Guar costumes were all just, everything was homemade by whoever was wearing them. And, 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 you know, but as the technology progressed, you had a handful of people that did most of the work because they had the, the skills to do it, you know, because, you know, you were, you were making better stuff it wasn't just thrown together and uh you know you have to you know even if they're part of the band you know that you got to pay them for their hours because they're putting in tons of hours to build all that stuff right and it takes a lot of time and you know the latex isn't cheap and you know uh, it, it's it's uh it's pretty amazing anybody that goes to the slave pit building and sees how they do all this stuff it, they're amazed you know it's still completely do it yourself it's not it's not a hollywood workshop but every year they advance a little bit more, and they and they learn a little bit something, you know, here and there. Had we had Hollywood money and technology, holy crap, man, we'd have been on I mean, man, I can't even imagine <laughs> where Guar would be, be if, if you know, if thirty years ago they had, you know, big money behind them, you know, to do whatever they wanted. It, it, it would have been insane by now. Kiss, Kiss would have been opening up for us this year. <laughs> <laughs> Jay's actually going to see Kiss Friday. Yeah, for the first time. I've been a fan for around 20 years. Man, my first my old, first man. uh big stoked. concert in 1977, boys. Uh, it was Kiss with Sticks, who I hated so much. <laughs> but that was my first big show, man. Way up in the nosebleeds. Me and my, my buddies are all freaking out. But I'm going to see him, too. Boy. Actually, a, a friend of mine, a very generous, awesome friend of mine, had seen a post that I posted on Facebook. It's uh, just saying, nah, man, I'd love for my, you know, I've got a, a 17 year old son. And I was like, oh, I'd love for him to see Kiss one time live, but shit, you know, I ain't paying that kind of money. Yeah. And uh, she got, she, she texted, well, she texted a buddy of mine. He texted me and he goes, well, 
you got a VIP meet and greet with Kiss in oh, costume. Fuck oh, shit. Third row center, third row center tickets. Oh, so my 17-year-old kid gets to see Kiss for the first time, like, meet them and then see them, like, third row center. He gets I've to see him the right way. I have. If I was working as as a stagehand at a uh, Comerica Park when it was Ted Nugent, Kiss, and Aerosmith, and I actually got wow. to be on stage with Kiss as they were coming out, and it was one of the most fucking surreal things I've ever done in my life. I've talked about it on this show before. One of the most surreal things I've ever because I'm trying like not to fucking mark out on Gene Simmons, but he's right there. <laughs> he's right, right, Gene. Gene, hi, hi, look at me, hi, hi, Gene. Fucking. Man, it's, it's so funny because you know, I think it was you know, 76 uh, when, when I first started playing bass and decided that's what I want to do. It was because of Gene Simmons' costume, not because of his bass playing at all, <laughs> but because of how badass Gene Simmons looked in 1976. I mean, there was nothing that could touch that motherfucker in 1976. I mean, that was the original gargoyle, you know, costume and... And that was it for me. I was just like, I want to be that guy, you know? And and it's it, kind of funny years later, I ended up being, you know, the, the poor man's Gene Simmons, <laughs> you know, beef, <laughs> beefcake from Guar. But, I mean, I, I was like, you know, I'll take it. That's, you know, I mean, that's, you know, when I was 11 years old or whatever, I was pointing at a poster going, I want to be that guy. And, and I kind of became sort of one of those guys. Gene know? Simmons' cousin, beefcake. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's it's funny because I'm gonna go meet him and I'm like, you know, I'm telling the people around me. I go, I I don't even don't even I don't don't even mention Guar. I don't even you know. I, mean, I don't he's even know aware where that Guar, conversation man. would go. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure Gene Simmons knows all about Guar. I'm sure he's he knows all about pretty much all bands out there that take any of the money that he he could be getting. <laughs> <laughs> So in in prep for the show, Jay was checking out Rigor Mortis the other day, <clears throat> and I told him to listen to Die in Pain and then listen to Battle Lust. Well, like I I've I've been aware of Rigor Mortis. I just for whatever fucking reason, dude. Like even when I was just doing deep dives into just thrash metal and death metal as a whole, for some reason, like Rigor Mortis was on my radar, but only just so. And dude, I'm I fucking. I'm kicking myself for not checking out your band sooner, dude. Like, oh. Well, the funny thing is, is we didn't do a whole lot. You know, people think we had this big career of touring and this and that, and we really didn't. But somehow, at least our first album became legendary, and yeah. the band, you know, kind of became semi-legendary. But you know, we it was weird. Uh, you know, we we kind of kicked down the door of this local promoter, figuratively, kicked down the door of this local promoter, Jeff Lyles, and uh, Bruce and Mike, you know, took him our tape, and uh, they wouldn't leave the room until he played it. He said, I'll play it, I'll, I'll call you, and they're like, bullshit, play us now. Because they were trying to get us on that Megadeth gig, and there was another band, Scratch Acid, that was on it. And they're like, we don't even know who that is, man, we should be on there, we're the metal band, blah, blah, blah. So Jeff listened to this tape, and was like, holy shit, he had never heard anything like it. And he kind of freaked out and was like, man, you guys are, I mean, and he's Jeff's uh, a local uh, promoter and writer, musician, and he's always been really, uh, you know, he knows everything about the music scene. He, he pays attention to everything. He likes all kinds of music, whatever. But he saw something in Rigor Mortis right away, 
and uh, asked if he could help, you know, try to get us signed or, or, you know, represent us, you know, a little bit or whatever. And so he got us on this Megadeth show. And then, of course, Scratch Acid, he put Scratch Acid on a, on a Motorhead show that we didn't even know was coming up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. I'd have so much had rather been on a Motorhead shirt, Motorhead show any day, you know. But, uh, <laughs> so he, he kind of, uh, he took the tape and he took it around to all the different labels and, you know, all these label you know, heads, these big name people that signed everybody. I'm Michael Lago and Kim Bowie from Island Records and Tom Wally. All these people came down and, you know, wined and dined us a little bit, hung out and saw us play or whatever. And, um, you know, Michael Lago liked us a lot. We hung out, became really good friends. Uh, but he's, you know, he already had, you know, Metallica or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, he was just like, you know, didn't, didn't have room or time for another, you know, up and coming metal band or whatever, you know, his hands were full and, and uh, I don't know what to do with this. And then Rachel, he got, got to Rachel Matthews at Capitol Records and she learned this and, I know you saw, you saw the documentary, so, you know, she right. tells the story. You know, she, she came down, and she saw Pantera, and she saw us, and we were both available for signing. And uh, she loved both bands, but she knew Pantera was, was mainstream enough and, and, you know, polished enough that they weren't going to have any problem getting signed. They were already, everybody wanted them kind of thing. And she knew that we were probably, nobody was going to sign us, but she liked us so much she made that career decision because it wasn't about the glory and the money to her. It was about, look, I know Pantera's going to be just fine, but these guys need somebody to help them out. So she signed us to Capitol Records. So we were signed to a major label before Pantera was, before, you know, most anybody was. There was Metallica, Slayer, and, and Metallica, Slayer, Megadeth, I guess. We're like the only other Anthrax, like, metal bands that were signed to a major label. I mean, there may have been another one, but I, I think it. We were like almost the first after those guys to so get signed to me, like before Exodus them, even. I think a lot of them at the time were signed to either uh, Combat or um, Megaforce. Right. Megaforce. So, so to be signed like straight on to Capitol Records, you know, the that was like name. a big deal at the time. Heck, is shit. It turned, uh, it, it turned out to be a, a shit deal, and it wasn't a big deal. And I, I much rather would have been signed to Metal Blade or Combat or any of those metal labels. In, in hindsight, that would have been much better for us than to sign to Capitol because, mm-hmm. as much as Rachel loved us. She didn't stay that much longer, and when she left, they didn't know what to do with this. And they didn't care about us, and so we basically just got put on the shelf until we kind of, you know, made them let us go at a certain point. By then, it was like, you know, it kind of fizzled, and Mike had gone on to, to ministry already to some extent. Yeah. And then after we did the last, you know, the third record, it was just, you know, there's no point. You know, Mike had his big offer, and he was gone all the time anyway at that point. And, uh, you know, we just saw the writing on the wall. I mean, unless something happened, or, you know, nothing was happening. So he took off. And, you know, it, it, it's weird. You think about it. Had he not taken off? Had we done this different? Had he not joined ministry? Had, you know, had we bought a van and a trailer and just stayed on the road for three years? You know, shit like that. <laughs> uh, you know, things would have been different. But then he wouldn't have had the big ministry career. I wouldn't have done the guar and all these other things I've done. And, 
you know, Harden and Drummers and Speedy and Mitra and Purvis and, you know, a bunch of other bands. And, uh, you know, Bruce had his success with, with, uh, with Warbeast and then, and then back in, you know, into Warbeast again. And I ended up being a Warbeast for a while. So a lot of other things happened, you know, and who knows what would have happened. Had we just stayed together as rigor mortis, you know, I mean, I think things would have been a little better for rigor mortis, but in the big picture, you know, maybe it was, it wasn't meant to be, you know, maybe it was just supposed to happen the way it did happen. I don't know. But, uh, right. So <clears throat> back to the Guar thing <laughs> was, was battle lust kind of a tribute to dying pain or was it just a, Hey, let's, let's use these riffs that, were there uh, that, that was actually that was uh that must have been that was taught i wasn't even there in the band at the time yeah man for violence has arrived battle lust oh no oh, oh no 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 I, I i thought you said a different song yeah yeah uh you know that was just uh, i don't know i mean uh, just kind of i just, I just like write the, the way i write so you know some of the stuff uh comes off sound a little bit like rigor mortis here and there uh but uh you know, not really, not intentionally. It's just, you know, I guess if sometimes you can hear, you know, my fingerprint on something that way, like a uh, bile driver, that's one of that music was me. That fucking so baseline is awesome. I'm like, yeah, I can kind of, I can kind of hear, you know, a little bit of the rigor mortis riffage in there. But, you know, I'll tell you what, you can listen to, you know, any ministry hour, ministry album from uh, Psalm 69 on and, and you're you're hearing Mike Scotch's riffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ministry Ministry well, Al actually I mean he flat out told us that uh, uh, Dave Ogilvie who was producing the first album sent him a rough tape of what we were doing in the studio and he was recording I guess it was going to be uh, uh, Land of Rape and Honey and it was they were still kind of that sort of electronic band thing going on and uh he heard this tape and, and mike's guitars and he tells me it was, he keeps telling me it was a song dying pain that, that freaked him out the most but uh he like scrapped what he what ministry was working on and said i want guitars i want guitars 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 and he's told me several times flat out you know that 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 rough tape of the first rigor mortis record is what made ministry the heavy band that it that it became and then he took Mike, and, you know, Mike's sound is on, you know, all kinds of, of ministry after that point. When ministry became part and, of the world. And, you know, and what, he Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and all that, so you can't help thinking, well, you know, if we influenced him and he influenced them, you know, where's, where's my check? <laughs> 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 lifetime Grammy, Lifetime Achievement Award, please. Right. <laughs> So, no, it didn't work that way, though. Yeah, so in your time with Gore, uh, you saw several different players take the helm of Flattus. Of them all, yeah. uh, who is your favorite to work with? Well, you know, I mean, all, all the guys I've worked with musically in Gore are, are all kick-ass. And I mean, there's, I can't say one over the other because they're so different. Which, is, you know, it's one, you know, Gore has a wide variety of, of sounds and stuff while still staying, you know, you know, it's still going. You know, it's going right away. So it's sort of the, the words, whether it's Brocky or whether it's, right now it's Mike Bishop singing. The original bass player is now the singer for Gore. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, Pete Lee was funny as shit as Flattis. I mean, he was like the, you know, the cartoon character of Flattis. And then you had uh, Zach Blair, 
pretty well for himself right one of the greatest guys you'll ever know i mean the guys are, 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 man, you want to know about the, the north texas music scene talk to that guy and, and he's got a you know he hadn't drink or, or do never done drugs or anything so his mind is sharp and he remembers everything a great guy a really good friend of mine also he played in the burden brothers for a while so we go way back and it was, it was a lot of fun playing with him but then Corey, you know he came in after after me and zach left uh, he and Todd came in, and, uh, you know, when I came back, I, I got along with Corey right away, you know, just a couple of, you know, sort of meathead metalhead guys, you know, and uh, I had a lot, of, I had a lot of really, really good times with Corey Smoot, and I'll tell you what, that guy, is, is, it was incredibly talented, not just musically, but the guy, I mean, he built the second story to his house, uh, he was the only guy because he put it in himself uh you know he would flip cars you know he'd buy a car off a buddy for 500 bucks fix it up sell for 2000 you know he was just a you know go-getting guy but musically i mean i don't know if you've ever heard uh you know any of his solo stuff but uh, oh the, yeah the, the last solo record he did he's got a lot of stuff on it it's also you know, musically but he played every track on drums, bass, sang, guitar, everything. Um, on the song "Release the Flies," uh, he plays every instrument on that, and and recorded and produced it in his home studio, which is where the album was recorded. I mean, the guy was just just off the charts talented guy, and he didn't really he never really got his his due for that. I mean, you know, he he just sort of came off as just you know this sort of you know neanderthal metalhead guy and and in reality he was he went really a lot deeper than that and and uh and man a really talented guy and, and just shocked when he died I, I miss that guy terribly he was one of the nicest dudes you could meet too he like he, he was man he, he was offered for my guy. he offered for my band to stay at his house because we were talking about going down to slate pit studios to record yeah he's yeah. like oh yeah you can stay at my house i'll i'll play on your demo it doesn't matter i'll do all that shit so yeah, yeah that was uh, he was that guy and he was funny as shit you know me and him had a had a rapport uh that was just funny as shit anytime we saw each other it was just this like comedy routine from across the room that nobody else even knew was going on you know <laughs> and that's something that's something i gotta say you know that i learned when i was in war that i tell everybody you know that's like well you know give me some advice i'm like wrap your head around the psychology of, of dealing with other people because that's what you're going to do your whole life no matter what you do job wise you're going to deal with different people and their personalities and with Guar, i stepped into this like viper den of like 15 egotistical artists musicians and uh i had to navigate that and i'd never really dealt with that before everybody wants their idea to be heard and things done their way and this and that and i learned really quickly okay well i talked to 
this person that way. I talk to this person that way. I learn how to approach that guy when he's in the right mood if I need something. You know, I joke around with Brocky this way. I brought, you know. So we started having just this like this connected thing with each, each person. Like me and Mike Dirks have this weird sense of humor that no one else gets. Same thing with me and Corey and Brocky and you know and everybody. I have a relationship with with Brad the drummer that's a little bit more you know sort of kind of a sophisticated relationship you know uh you know we like the tiki bar stuff and we like you know nice drinks and he likes the cigars and so you know there's a different vibe when, when we're communicating and there were people that i just knew you know i could walk up to them and go no it's not the time <laughs> you know <laughs> that, just that knowledge and learning how to do that has served me so well with everything i've done with my you know other job this current job i have now you know, I walked in there, I didn't know anybody, and I started seeing who talked shit about who and who was, you know, but it's really, it's just another family of people. Mm-hmm. You just kind of learn how you know, people's, uh, you see what these are, and, and uh, but, you know, you're going to deal with people, and you learn how to get your way by being nice or being quiet at the right time, man, it serves you well, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, so, uh, knowing how to read the room. So. But yeah, you know, that's that's something about the Guar thing, man. I was surrounded by so much talent and, uh, you know, these artists and, and, you know, these weird thinkers, you know, uh, really neat. I mean, it was a unique experience and, and something, you know, that I, you know, yeah, I was in and out of the band four times. Uh, you know, we had our fights and stuff, but man, I'm proud of, of being allowed to be part of it because history is going to look back at Guar and go, holy shit, this was something you know, this was Monty Python of heavy metal, you know, or something. <laughs> uh, because it, it, it really goes a lot deeper than, you know, what you see at one sh- one or two shows or, or a couple of records. I mean, if you, if you dig deep, it's just this endless mythos of stories and, you know, comics waiting to be written and stories. You know, there's a movie waiting to be, you know, financed and done. Right. You know, at some point, you know, when, when the guys that are, Art just can't even walk anymore, you know. There'll be there'll be cartoons and there'll be video games and there'll be movies and pinball machines and guar bears will be sprouting up all over the country and stuff, you know. I mean guar's you know, not gonna go away, you know, even after the the people in the costumes can't do it anymore. It's something that can keep going on and on and on and still be sick and twisted and uh, you know, I mean, Guar's never compromised. There was a moment in time where Warner Brothers was going to pick up Metal Blade, and uh, Guar was going to be the first band on on this new label. Metal Blade would have would have banked, and it would have really put them, you know, big time on the map. And it all came down to Baby Dick Fuck. <laughs> Warner Brothers. <laughs> Warner Brothers said, "Well, we, you know, we love Guar. We want to release it. We want to, you know, make this thing happen." And and but gonna have to take off that one song and uh uh brian slagle to his credit told the band hey it, you're the artist it's, it's your song it's your decision and uh for better or worse <laughs> in hindsight for better or worse you know Brocky said no man we can't do it you know we can't you know we have to stick to our guns and this is what war is and this is why our fans love us and if we start compromising then it'll never end and blah, 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 blah. so they stuck to their guns. Brian said, so be it. <laughs> and Warner Brothers tore up the contract and walked away. Damn. And uh, <laughs> I think the guys in Guar look back and go, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe no that wasn't shit. the best decision. <laughs> After, but at the um, same time, 
you know, he was right. You know, if war tones it down and, you know, takes away the sex and violence and shit, then you're going to lose all your fans. Then you it's know? not war anymore. I mean, there's, yeah, there's something to be said for staying true to what got you there and and, and not, you know, I mean, and it, it ebbs and flows, you know, but you go to a war show and they're going to, they're going to fuck a priest in the ass with a fucking cross and they're going to bring out John Bonet Rams and they're going to do the most tasteless shit. There's going to be a lot of people in that audience that are seeing you like it's a, a bold artistic statement, like it's, you know, pointing the, you know, the spotlight on, you know, humanity, man's humanity to man or whatever. And, you know, honestly, Guar's not thinking that deeply when they come up with these ideas. It's kind of what we always call stoned visions, where you're just like, wouldn't it be funny if we brought John Bonet Ramsey out and stuck a boot up her ass or something? You know, <laughs> and everybody goes, yeah, man, that's funny. And then just then, and then you have somebody come out and like, it's you know, wow, that really, you know, it's so deep on all these levels, and you're going, oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> But it, it's amazing how often that yeah, shit would happen. You know, people for. see these, these these social commentary things, and they're there, but it, it, they're not there really intentionally. Sometimes, you know, and so it's kind of funny how kind of Guar just sort of manifests itself, you know, into these uh, statements and and you know whatever that people you know see in, in in the shows and in the lyrics and stuff that that are there, even if we didn't realize we put them there. But it's interesting, the whole war dynamic, it says a fan, because I'm still a fan, you know, I mean, I still, I go see them when they come through, and I, I love it, it's just still, you know, it's so much fun, I get jealous when I'm when I, I'm out front, you know, but. You're like, I want my job back. I get I get jealous of any band that I'm watching from out front, though, I mean. Right. I always, always want to leave halfway through the show and go play my bass. <laughs> like, why can't I be there? I want yeah, to be there like, right now. See, I'm on the wrong side of the barricade, man. Well, yeah, I, I'd run into that, like. In the uh, in between time, between like practices or between fucking shows, where I'd be at my job, which at the time was working twelve hour night shifts, three nights a week, in an ER, sitting at a desk staring at a computer, and I'd be just scrolling through like, you know, one of those like Metal Sucks or Blabbermouth or some bullshit like that. Come Fuck, on, man! I just want to fucking play right now. God damn it! <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, man. I, I do it all the time. I'll go out and just watch some local bands and stuff, and I'm just like, "Fuck this, man! I'm, I don't want to. I, I don't want to be on this side. I want to be up there playing, you know." And I just got get, you know, I start getting dancey, and I just want to leave. Exactly. <laughs> After, um... especially if, especially if they're really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really disgusted. Fuck this shit! I'm out of here. After these guys suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were there any talks with Guar of you assuming vocals after Brocky passed away? No, I, I mean I wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't think that I'm the man for the job. So I, I didn't, that definitely didn't bring it up. I, you know, I never wanted to be a singer at all. I, I ended up singing some of the, the beginning of Rigor Mortis just because we didn't have a singer yet. And then it was like there was there, there wasn't any other position available in X Cop, so I was like, "Fuck that, I'm doing it." <laughs> you know, I'm not a, I'm not a singer, you know. So but it was a lot of fun. Well, um, but now nah, you know, I I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind coming back and, and playing bass with War again at some point. But I think Mike Bishop's fucking awesome. 
Uh, the, you know, the, it was the it was really, I think it was the only thing they could have done that would have worked. And and there's still a lot of, you know, people that are reluctant to give Moore a chance without Brocky. But, I mean, Mike Bishop is, is an original, you know, from Scum Dogs on. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, he's he's the original beefcake. That was, it was his nickname in high school before he even was in the band. You know, so he's the original beefcake. And he's got a kick-ass voice. And he's a really funny dude. He's a great dude. And, uh, you know, had they got some new guy or had they got somebody that was already known or, you know, or if they tried to, you know, put somebody in the odorous costume, of course, it would never have worked. And so, really, the only thing they could have done was what they did. Mike Bishop said he'd do it, and, and so they, they carried on with him. Dave Brocky wouldn't want everybody is to say oh well that's the end of guar he worked his entire adult life to build this thing and uh, you know i know he's you know i've seen interviews where he's like i want it all to just you know you know fold up immediately when i'm gone you know just just shut it down and sell everything off he was joking of course right. he didn't want that you know i mean he built this thing from nothing with other people but you know it's like rigor mortis is my band it's also Mike Scott's band. It's also Bruce Corbett's band. I mean, it was our first band, all of us. And so it's individually and together, it's our band, you know? So you feel that, you know, passion about it. And I mean, it was Dave's whole life, you know? I mean, yeah. he did, you know, 35 years, however long. Um, so, you know, I that last War album to me is, is excellent, man. You know, Viking Death Machine and fucking phantom limb come on man that's a that's a badass song that's a good tune I mean, you know it, that song gives me chills you know because it's it means a lot to me because i know it was about brocky and it was you know mike bishop's you know they were really really close and but to me it's mike scott it's Corey, you know it's bruce and it's dave and it's you know my dad you know whoever else is gone that that's never really leaves you you know they never leave your your heart and your memory you know and i, I just thought it was a really powerful song um by far the Vikings, most sentimental you know, there's song. a lot of good songs on that record and and you know i think uh, you know people didn't give it a chance because it wasn't brocky uh but but i think you know dave would have been the first one to tell them they were being stupid you know give it at least give it a listen i mean you know the same guys are on the record that you've loved for years and the same 15 or so people are working behind the scenes you know harder than anybody else you've ever known in your life to bring this shit to you you know at least you could do is give it a chance right call yourself the fan at all but uh oh. you know, i just i recently talked to all the guys and you know it was good to see them again and, and talk about stuff and you know i i uh, you know, we talked about maybe me uh, helping her write a song or two on the new album. So uh, I'm Please pretty do. stoked about that. I would, I really, uh, I really want to do that. Well, it kind of, it kind of goes <clears throat> almost in a way uh, with the whole Kiss thing, like how you know you have Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley since day one, but then like there's some people that don't accept the current lineup of Kiss with Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer. As being Kiss, like they, like I, I think I tried to start. I had a, a wild hair, and I tried to start a Kiss tribute band, and someone said, "Well, Kiss is pretty much already a tribute band." I'm like, eh, not if you really knew the history. <laughs> Tommy Thayer played pretty much most of the guitar on fucking Psycho Circus. Well, yeah, it's, yeah, so. it's, not, like, it's not like Peter, Chris, and Ace Frehley, you know, are, are 
the yeah, best Peter studio musicians ever. Right. You know, Anton Finnick from Letterman's band. You yeah. know, he played on a lot of drums on a lot of stuff. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. lot. Of, but you know, back then that was just normal anyway. You know, regardless of how good the, the band was, there was always studio guys. You know, coming in and recutting stuff. And there's a lot of stuff out there that. The bands don't even realize that after they left, the producer got a ringer in there to, to go re-record their tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, and he hears the difference, but the but the drummer probably didn't, you know? So he gets you know, <laughs> Anton Fig in there. You know, and, and, Man, I mean, that's the, way the, that's the way things worked for a long time. It didn't matter what the band wanted. It mattered what the, you know, what the label wanted, you know? So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, uh, but no, you know, I thought about it too. It's like, uh, you know, there's you either got to quit or or die, really, to get leave Guar. I mean, I, almost no one's ever been fired from Guar. Mm-hmm. You know, you're too valuable an asset. You're working for nothing. You know, so it's like you know, you can get rid of a lot of shit. You know, I mean, you know, even even Pete Lee when he left the band, I mean, he you know he. So he fired. He just never got his shit together to come back. All right, so uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. So in closing, uh, can you remind everyone uh, where they can catch you next and how they can help with the Bruce Corbett uh, benefit shows? Yeah, um, if you go on Facebook, there's uh, there's several... You can go to the Rigor Mortis uh, official page, or you can go, I mean, you can go to the Hellions page, you can go to uh, the War Beast page, there's uh, there's a page for uh, the Ridgely Theater, so if you just start searching, you'll find it, there should be links to the uh, fundraiser medical fund uh, donation site, and, and it should be easy to find links to all the, uh, the, the uh, benefit and the uh, memorial show. We're all posting and reposting um, pretty frequently, so we'll put the uh, we'll put the links up on our Facebook. Yeah, I, I don't well. have it right in front of me, but yeah, if you can find the links, uh, and you can find them on my page or whatever. And then, do you want to give a plug to your art site and let everyone know where they can give you money? Yeah, for cool art? you know, I got uh, the art of or the art of or dot com. Uh, right now, it's it's kind of half ass little little storefront. I'm in the process of redoing everything and kind of pull the brakes on things. I'm going to sort of relaunch everything in the next few months. But it'll still be at theartofwar.com, and it'll be, I'll have a better site up pretty soon. Um, and right now, man, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm dealing with the Bruce thing, designing some artwork, and it's his you know, memorial shirt uh, to help raise some money for his wife. He putting together the slideshow photos um, for his service and for the memorial, and you know, I've been doing a whole lot of art lately. Uh, just got a lot of a lot of other things going on. Yeah. Um, trying to get back to it. I started working on a piece last night just because I was just you know, I was driving myself crazy with all this other stuff going on. So it's just one of those things, you know. I mean, it's just an ongoing thing, you know. Every now and then, I'm, you know, I'm playing in a band all of a sudden for a couple of months, and then that ends for a few months, and I'm just painting all the time, or, or I'm doing nothing. So it's, there's always something going on, but it's always different. But so yeah, so I got the Hellion show, uh, the benefit that with Speed Dealer, and um, and that's really the only show I've got coming up right now. But I'm sure that uh, Hellions will do some more shows. We've been kind of reactivating a little bit. 
Well, we thank you for taking the time while everything's going on to come on the show, man. We really appreciate it. We'd love to have you on again at some point in time. That'd be cool as fuck. Yeah, man. Appreciate it anytime, man. And uh, we'll put up links to everything so everybody can find uh, all those benefit shows and how to order the shirts and anything they can do to help out. Well, we hope you guys uh, enjoyed our interview with the one and only Casey Orr. The legend. Casey the legendary Orr. Casey Orr. Hail Corbett, too, man. All this shit's going a million dollars, dude. Hail Over Corbett. a million dollars. Yeah, dude. Like, I feel really bad because I kind of cut off the. I was trying to not get the. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. You know, get thanks the pleasantries for pleasantries out of the way. Yeah, getting the, the. The. All that out of the way. So, unfortunately, I cut him off before uh, Casey said, Hail Corbett. But, uh, yeah. The sentiment so, is there. again, we'll post the links um, to all that stuff on our Facebook and Twitter, and it'll be under the show notes or the, the show description on iTunes and SoundCloud, SoundCloud and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so, that pretty much does it for this week. Um, big drink, fucking thanks to Casey for being on the show. Big that thanks was, for Casey. That was a lot of fun, dude. Yes. Again, big thanks to Casey or. You know, um, we we really appreciate all our guests. You know, ba- even back to the wrestling days, because um, it's like these guys don't have don't have to give us a moment of their time, but they're willing to go out of their way because you know we're fans and everything like that. Talk to two schmucks. To talk to two yeah. dickheads about whatever you know, and I I don't like to have a structured interview thing. It's nice to have some sort of talking points, but like. We kind of have if you, to have it structured just to yeah, keep it within a time limit. Because generally, <laughs> we tell these people a half hour, and that was what an hour with Casey. Yeah. So, and roughly. I'm not complaining, man. Because I mean, our techno episode ran almost an hour too, just on the interview alone. Yeah. So structured, but not um, organized chaos. So yeah, that's our show for this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com forward slash stuff still rules. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at WSR Podcast, the number one. Uh, we still haven't figured out how to change it. <laughs> um, Twitter's hard. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at BDJ1985. You can follow Big Million. He's at Big Million. Yeah, leave a review, rate us. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated and very welcome um, because it helps put us on the map so to speak um don't forget to check out our sponsors at gremlindiy.com gremlinjuice.com gremlin gremlin's the reason why we've got the soundcloud pro and you guys get this all the time when we they keep the proverbial lights on yes they do um thanks again to hella hot hot sauce and kyle colson again thank you for the sauce it is fucking amazing as usual um, I can't wait to swim in those fucking garlic death grip bottles I got, man. They're, they're like twice the normal size. I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. Just recreate that. Uh, oh, that wouldn't feel good at all. But recreate the, that Who album cover where one of the guys is in a tub full of baked beans. But you're in a tub full of garlic death grip. I'd have to double bag it, dude. Yeah, you can probably you imagine would. imagine that getting that oh, in your dick hole? Yeah, that in would your feel butthole. good. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If you have any questions or comments, um, you can either, again, Facebook, or you can uh, email us at wsrpodcast at gmail.com. 
Uh, let's see. Am I forgetting everything? Oh, yes. We have a YouTube page. Is it just Stuff Still Rules? Yeah, it's stu- it's it's kind of inactive at the moment because I haven't uploaded anything. I'll get yeah. to it sooner or later. It's it's still a work in progress. We don't have much. Um, SoundCloud I will probably, and iTunes is the main. Yes, SoundCloud and iTunes. The links for our SoundCloud and iTunes um, pages are on the are pinned at the top of the page on Facebook. Top of the page. Top of the page. And we also include the link when we announce the show's uh, the new episode is out. We do. Um, the uh, the unique URL for that episode. Yes, 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 yes. And it will if you listen on SoundCloud, it will start playing immediately. Yes, that's how it's designed. However, if you back out, clear your cache, and then hit play again, we'll get two listens out of it. That'd be sweet. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> there's one other thing. And I'm forgetting it now. Oh, yes. I will be posting pictures from the KISS show on nice. Friday. Nice. I will post them to I'll my personal account, shit. and I'll share a few on uh, on our uh, Facebook page. I will be jealous as shit. However, <laughs> I've seen KISS enough to Yeah, wear. I haven't. I, in my 20 years of being a KISS fan, because I've been a KISS fan since I was about 12, give or take, I borrowed a double platinum from my uncle. I think, yeah, I'm almost positive I borrowed it from my uncle. But anyways, so... <laughs> it's kind of like I permanently borrowed my uh, uncle's Queen's Greatest Hits CD. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't have gotten away with that. Um, I didn't. My mom had to buy him a new one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, guys, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, we hope to have more guests like that in the future. We're kind of That's the trying to get stuff rolling Again. based on, you know connections with connections um we're hoping to have more guests um probably hear some past guests come back on just because they were fun interviews yeah we might have todd evans on again in the near future hunter jackson hopefully hunter jackson hopefully probably kyle colson probably kyle colson just for a small live plug kind of deal right probably some other former members of guar i got the connections to to get the hookup on um you know i never thought about that and you could cut this part out Todd might be able to hook us up with the Lamb of God guys. Really? Yeah, because he's friends with John Campbell. I still want to try and get Jeff Jarrett to. To close again. the show, again, you listen to Stuff Still Rules podcast. Uh, and I just want to leave with this. I hate love songs, and I hate lovers. I hate everything that I can't have, so I hate you. Hail Corbett. Hail Corbett.